Hi, this is Ashi Bachu, founder and CEO for MC Squared Health. I'm here today with Albert Eisen Jr., who's the Associate Director of Training and Technical Assistance at the Association of Asian Pacific Community Health Organizations. Albert, so great to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for this opportunity, Ashi. This podcast series is certainly addressing some timely and relevant topics that I care about as a public health professional. I appreciate that. Albert, why don't you go ahead and walk us through what guiding change for community practices looks like? This is the work that you're deeply involved with, and what are some of the common challenges that you come across? All right. So a little bit about the Association of Asian Pacific Community Health Organizations, or APSHO for short. At APSHO, we represent community health centers and practices that provide quality, comprehensive health services that are financially affordable, linguistically accessible, and culturally responsive to the needs of underserved and uninsured communities. And in particular, we serve the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander community. And from APSHO's perspective, we do have guiding principles that we uphold and take into account when driving community level change. And those guiding principles are really embedded under five shared values, which underlie every aspect of our organization and the community health centers that we serve. And I would love to share those with you here, especially given what's happening in our country right now with COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, and the larger movement against racial, social, and economic injustices. We believe that healthcare is a right and not a privilege. And what that means is we believe that all people have access to affordable quality care, regardless of their language, their culture, their immigration status, or even their ability to pay. And the second value is focused on wellness and honoring that health is not just about the absence of disease, but includes physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. In other words, all the social determinants of health that's being talked about out there right now. The third value we believe in is community accountability and empowerment. And what that means is really using the community as experts in their own health and as essential participants in the healthcare system. The fourth value is using diversity as a strength because that diversity includes language, cultural heritage, spirituality, history, experience, health beliefs, et cetera, et cetera. In particular, many of these diverse communities in the U.S. have undergone hardships of war, colonization, poverty, immigration to a new country. So we want to honor that diversity more and more. And the fifth and final value I want to present is kind of the collaboration across different communities of color um, and really the shared history and the health disparities due to different uh, laws or regulations around exclusion or really leaving out people um, from the different systems um, that promote health um, inequities. I really appreciate the context and, and what AppShow is, is about. So, I mean, just to kind of dig in a little bit deeper, what are the common challenges that you face as you're guiding and going through that change? Keeping those values in mind, one of the biggest challenges for AppShow and our community health centers is ensuring a system of care that is accessible to all communities. And that really requires a lot of collaboration and coordination across partner organizations at the local level, at the state level, regional level, or even federal level. And so it takes time to make those changes. And we really want to look to the community um, as the experts in their own healthcare. Healthcare is, of course, extremely 
complicated in and of itself from third-party payer insurance to a variety of healthcare services and advanced specialization, advent of medical technology, also taking into account cultural appropriateness of uh, care that's being rendered. What are some of the common manual or administrative processes, barriers, and challenges that you frequently encounter or run into as a part of your role, particularly with respect to the systems that you work on uh, helping implement? That's a great question. So as a public health professional with kind of the training and background in health policy and management, I often feel that the data-driven decision-making and use of data for storytelling is really imperative to facilitating change in the healthcare system. And again, want to emphasize that change can happen at multiple levels, whether that's at the individual patient level, at the organizational level, whether that's the clinic that you work with or the hospital, and then also reaching out wider, how that change can impact the larger community and systems. So when it comes to the administrative barriers that I see, it really boils down to all the data collection happening in healthcare right now. One of my favorite quotes that I like to mention is from an American scholar and quality management thinker, W. Edwards Deming. He says, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. So for me and my work at App Show and the community health centers I serve, the collection and documentation of those standardized discrete data points is burdensome, but it's imperative to make sure that we're using data in a meaningful and actionable way. Um, Because at the end of the day, we use that data to get better funding, to get better reimbursements so that we can enhance the quality of care for all the communities that we're serving. And at the end of the day, it takes a whole village to move the needle on the health IT right now. And we're collecting great data, but maybe not using that data in a meaningful way. Got it. You know, you brought up an interesting distinction. I'd love to go into a little bit more detail on. You mentioned the difference between hospitals or, you know, larger uh, facilities and clinics like outpatient treatment areas. Could you walk through a little bit of some of the differences and the unique challenges for each of those? Sure. So from the perspective of the community health centers I serve, uh, there's a lot of talk about interoperability as an example, where they are collecting data, but aren't able to share that outside of the outpatient setting or clinic walls easily. They have to send, again, some Excel spreadsheets or um, documents that have to be translated on the back end from an informaticist or a population health management specialist at another specialty clinic or hospital setting. And so this idea of sharing data is such a huge conversation happening right now. And when systems don't talk, that really does provide kind of a disincentive for people to even talk about what they're collecting in the first place. And we want to make sure that with more policy and regulations and coaching in the healthcare setting, we can share that data and democratize that data. That way we're not duplicating screenings or duplicating labs and test results that may be costing the healthcare system a ton of money. Got it. So it kind of sounds like the more advanced kind of care that's being rendered, the more data points, the more information is being gathered, and then finding ways for how to unlock that data and, and use it in ways that aren't repetitive or in quotes, like from a lean perspective, wasteful potentially or generating waste. So it's fascinating. 
technology is often seen as like a enabler. Do you see it as an enabler in your context and, and app shows goals uh, across language barriers? Do you have any examples of that experience? You know, and, and what are risks and challenges to be aware of when it comes to the use of technology, languages, and cultural appropriateness within the patients and the care that you guys render? <laughs> the quick answer here is yes and no when it comes to technology being an enabler. I say yes because technology has facilitated better access to care, especially in the current environment we're in with COVID-19 and all the great telehealth work happening in the outpatient clinic setting or in the hospital setting. And technology in particular for App Show is the focus on interpretation services that are being done virtually through, let's say, a bilingual or multilingual staff member in the clinic. And we've heard of our staff in those clinics using Zoom or Google, for example, to really provide the language and translation lines. And if they don't have that staff in-house, then that's where those professional translation services come into play. So it has proven as an enabler um, across the healthcare system. And I do want to point you to AppShow's website, www.appshow.org slash telehealth, and you'll find some more resources on all the great work happening in the cultural and linguistically appropriate um, healthcare realm. Awesome. We can definitely uh, go ahead and include that in our uh, post that we're going to do about this episode. Do you have any particular examples where you've seen language come into play, or have you heard stories where the use of technology in assisting with language was particularly important for a case or a patient or a provider in their experience? So that's a good follow-up. The note part to that question around technology being an enabler for language access really lends itself to some of AppShow's work with our health centers where they view technology more as a supplement rather than a replacement. Um, because to be truly competent at providing language assistance, it requires that healthcare providers go above and beyond access to a professional language line, which again is a backup option for many of our health centers who don't want to depersonalize healthcare and really build relationships between the healthcare staff and the patients who are coming into the health center. And in the current environment we're in, a lot of our interpreters and translators are doing just interpretation through Zoom. But the overall challenge, again, is addressing language barriers can really be felt by the patient because it puts a burden on their access to healthcare. One of the examples I'd like to share from some of the patient stories from the health centers is that some patients have driven seven hours just to come see a, a clinical staff member because they spoke their same language. So as far as language goes, being able to provide that personalized healthcare service is key to behavior change and patients doing what they need to do to take care of themselves. Well, just like hearing about that patient who's driving seven hours, it really speaks to the value of cultural sensitivity in care being delivered and how important it is for patients, how, how comfortable it makes them feel and how important it is to them. And that too, trusting a provider with something as sacred, valuable to you is like the most important thing. So you could argue to your body. So wow, that's pretty remarkable to hear. You know, yeah, oh, um, I was going to say that that story from that health center always sticks with me because I think about my own family 
who are Filipino American immigrants and how my own mother, for example, may not always understand what their doctor or cardiologist who is only English speaking is saying during her appointments. And so ultimately the um, service of having an interpreter or translation in person or virtual can really bridge that linguistic and cultural difference between patients and providers. Yeah, that's so important. What do you believe, Albert, is on the horizon for social determinants of health? It's such a hot topic right now. would love your opinion. <laughs> There's so much happening right now around the social determinants of health. I'm not sure where to begin, but for the sake of time, I love to share the work APSHO is doing with our longtime partner at the National Association of Community Health Centers. We're working right now through some federal and public grants to focus on the investments of SDOH and doing that through some of the cross-sector partnership and alignment work. So what that means is, for example, the health centers that we both work with at our organizations, really using the SDOH data to um, inform the way we deliver care, whether that's at the clinic itself, at the hospital for their specialist visits, or even through the social services, community-based organizations where they might be getting some of their more support, lifestyle change program support. So we are working around the clock to really manage some of the relationships at the, the local level, the state level, and the federal level to make sure that we're sharing some of those best practices on using the social determinants of health data coming through the healthcare system to inform um, the delivery care system. That's great. I mean, in the spirit of being data-driven and uh, collectively assessing information to achieve a greater good, that sounds like a really admirable effort. Is there an, a space within public health, healthcare administration, where you feel like what people are asking from social determinants of health subject area, that those expectations are too high or they're asking too much? What do you think the future or promise more realistically maybe does hold for the uh, future for social determinants of health and the like? Oh, gosh. These type of large-scale social determinants of health efforts are exciting, yet they are daunting, especially in the wake of COVID-19. The initiative to identify the socioeconomic needs and aligning those with different partners, whether that's the healthcare space or the social services space, um, is becoming more important than ever because we are seeing a lot of silos break down and more partnerships being built across different communities and the expectations sometimes of the various funders or you know you can talk about health insurance payers you can talk about the the government state or federal they sometimes feel out of reach when it comes to the community in order for again the community to change it takes relationship building it takes time trust good intentions and really accountable actions between providers like the hospitals or the clinics that these patients are lending themselves to. So that being said, I think there's great opportunity right now to invest in social determinants of health, especially with the number of people who are disproportionately affected by the pandemic, which is causing a lot of adverse health, economic and social outcomes right now. I appreciate that answer. No, Albert, we're running a little bit low on time, but I'd love to hear any um, closing thoughts that you have to close us out. 
So some closing thoughts. Again, I think one of the biggest challenges that we keep running up against in healthcare is the cost and financial sustainability associated with providing um, healthcare to underserved populations. We know that, for example, with telehealth right now, it's not reimbursed adequately across our healthcare system, and it varies a lot state by state. So there's a lot of frustration being heard, for example, from our health centers that they're not getting reimbursed to address some of the social complexities of their patients. And so there's high stakes right now in really addressing the social determinants of health and a lot of advocacy happening right now around the social determinants of health. So yeah, I just want to leave um, folks here today just to learn more about the work we're doing nationally at AppShow and feel free to check us out uh, appshow.org. Albert, it's been so great to have you here as a guest on the podcast. Thanks so much, Ashi.